a story is told about uh, Alexander the Great. He was taking his rounds, and he comes across a soldier who is sleeping. And he says, uh, taps him on the shoulder and says, Soldier, what's your name? And he says, Alexander. So Alexander the Great asks again, Soldier, what's your name? And he says, Alexander. And Alexander says, I am Alexander. Either you change your name or you live up to your name. Now, that's not the greatest part of what I want to share with you because I'm not sure how many of you have heard the story, but if you have, you may have heard it as Napoleon having said this. So I've got a theory. I think there are three reasons why it may have happened. One, it didn't really happen. Some creative storyteller actually put it all together. I think it was a great lesson, so just put somebody's name. Second, knowing human nature, it must have happened twice. It must have happened with Napoleon, and it would have happened with Alexander. Right? Human nature has remained the same. But I think the third one is the more plausible, more according to me, is what does happen. It's the same soldier. When Alexander told him to change his name, he changed his name, he called himself uh, Napoleon, and then Napoleon had to address. Now, I know you might say Alexander was in 300 BC, and Napoleon was in early 1800s. It's not humanly possible. But I'm not talking about physiology. I'm talking about human psychology. I'm saying that that we might change our name, we might have a different year, we might have a different situation, but if our behavior, if our attitude, if our outlook, if our mindset has not changed, then it doesn't really matter. You see, our, our walk must match our talk. And as they say, our hip must sink with our lip. And so that is what we have here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, which says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Now, we said we're going to do, we start a new sermon series. We, we had already said our theme for this year is let's build together. And, and our theme is taken from this chapter, Ephesians chapter 4. So what we want to do over the next few weeks is to go through Ephesians 4 and to see what God has for us, because um, we already know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's building his church. It's not a human invention. Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 18 will tell you that I will build the church. But when you get to Ephesians 4, and there are other chapters, we see that even though it, church is not a human invention, it is not a part from human intervention. That you and I are invited to be part of this building process. And so the objective for our series, when we do the series, is this, that how do I get into this greatest building project and what are the measures that God uses us? Because we have said this repeatedly, because we know God's going to hold us accountable. We know there's a time of reckoning, and we want all of us to stand before him to be able to hear this well-done, good, and faithful servant. And so how do we encourage each other? How do we build each other? How, we, how, how, can we, how can we get aligned 
with what God would have us. And so that's the purpose for the series. But for today, it's just an introduction that I want us to get into. It's like, what is it that we as individuals can do? So I want us to ask two questions in this verse 1 and 2. First is, what is? What is? What does it mean to walk worthy of the calling? So that's the what is. And then the verse 2, it tells you the how to. How to walk worthy. What's the practical way? All right, so th these are the two things. The first one is the what does it mean to walk worthy of his calling? Let me just read that those two verses again. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Father God, we, we come to you, Father. We, we come to you for help. We come to you for counsel. We come to you for guidance. We want to walk worthy of this calling that you've called us to. And so we pray, Lord, that as we look to your word and wait on you, would you speak to us, to each one of us, so that our lives are conformed to the image of your son as you work in us, that you will find in us that we, have, we are walking worthy of your calling. We thank you, we love you, thank you for all that you mean to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen, amen. So first I want to look at what does it mean to walk worthy, all right? So three words there. One is verse one, therefore, I want us to look at prisoner of the Lord and the word calling, the three words that we will go through. So the first is therefore. Therefore means consecutively, consequently, because of, because of, right? That's what therefore is. We were there, now we are invited to be here. You see, chapter 1 to chapter 3 is just a beautiful thing. If you will turn to verse chapter 2 and verse 11, this is what it says. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called to uncircumcision, called, sorry, the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh by hands, remember that you were at that one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now God. You see, what Paul is saying, listen, do you know where you were? You, you were dead, now you're alive. You were poor, now you're rich. You were in the gutter, guttermost. Now you've been raised to the uttermost, to the heavenlies. And I want you, therefore, he says, Paul is saying, listen, this has to have a cons consequence in our lives. It's like what Paul is doing is taking us to the top of CN Tower. And as you go on top of CN Tower, we get to see Toronto. And Paul is taking us to, to that heights so that we can get this panoramic view of what we have in Jesus Christ. You see, it's important that we dwell there for some time. It's important, but we don't stop there. We have to move on. But it's important that we get this view of who God is and what we have received in God. You see, because in Genesis 3, the devil came and said, is that what God told you? 
he was like, yeah, no, I don't know. You see, I don't want that to happen for us. When the devil comes and asks us, is that what God told you? We tell him from God's word, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. He used scripture to point out to them, saying that this is God's word. We are seated in the heavenly places. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We were the ones who were lost. Now we are saved. And so that therefore is a very impactful word. And, uh, 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 and that's something that we have to keep rehearsing, rehearsing to ourselves. I remember uh, visiting my grandma. We, we would do that during summer vacation. And uh, that was during that phase when I used to constantly get into trouble. And I was doing nothing that day. She was on a garden patch. And then she says, you know, uh, something to the effect like, get behind me, you shameless one. So I was like, Grandma, I didn't do anything. So she said, no, 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 not you. I'm telling the devil to get behind me. You see, what she was doing was she was practicing the fact that devil, when he comes to cast doubts on who we are and what we have received in Jesus Christ, we have to repeatedly say to him, to ourselves, the truth of God's word. So he spends that time the three chapters, but now we are moving to chapters four to six. The resulting obedience, therefore, must mean something. With this word, therefore, it indicates, among many things, one is that there's a value. There's an acknowledgement of value. You see, if we value something, we are faithful to it. We might value our family. We might, you know, it's like, I'm going to do anything for my family. My son, my daughter is the greatest, I'm, uh, you know, is the biggest responsibility that I have. I I'm willing to do anything. I, I, I am, you know, I'm going to spend myself. Or maybe friends. We've heard, my, you know, I'll do anything for my friends. So what we tend to value, we tend to be faithful to. And Paul is saying with us, therefore, he's saying, I want you to look at what is of eternal value, something of not just this temporal consequence, but look beyond of consequence, this obedience that we would have. Second, therefore, has this expectation of obedience. There's this expectation of of obedience. That is, what does that mean? It, it means that uh, because I am uh, in Jesus Christ, there is a certain expectation of me. Now, that's on legalism. When we talk about certain expectation, when we talk about, hey, this is what you are to do as a as a Christian, you would say, you never told me. I thought, I thought the. Um, you know, the entrance is free, but now I have to pay at the door. You see, we, 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 we think that salvation has been free, but as a result of that, like, there's no expectation of us. No, there is. Obedience is an expectation. That is what he is bringing us to. Spiritual disciplines is, are important for the, for the health of our spiritual life. 
How many of us think that breathing is legalism? You know, like you stop and say, oh my, I've been breathing every day last year. I need to stop breathing at least this year. Or about eating thrice, thrice a day. We don't do that. We don't stop and say, no, I have to eat when I'm hungry. Sleeping. If we begin to realize that these spiritual disciplines, if we begin to realize that these obedience, these things that God is telling us is for our good, for our very life, for our spiritual life, then we don't see it as something that we have to do to just hang on to our salvation. It doesn't work that way. This is what Paul is uh, bringing our attention to with that word therefore, and yet I want us to understand the word therefore. The standard is beyond possible. It's not, it's not possible that we can do it on our own. We, we, we can't meet that. We can't do what God is telling us to do in our own strength. Now that you're a Christian, sometimes you think, oh, I'm expected to be good. I'm expected to do good. I'm expected to be, you know, acting and behaving in a certain way, but that's the false gospel. If you are going to do that on your own strength, you will fail miserably. It's not possible for you to live that good life that God's calling us to. Because if you could, then you didn't have to send a son to die for us. What Paul is saying is that, hey, I want us to look at all that is there and the goodness of the Lord as we, as we submit ourselves, as we live for his, um, uh, you know, live in a way that I'm completely given to his will. I'm going to be willing to take his word, then I can walk worthy of his calling, the word therefore. But then he goes on to say, the prisoner of the Lord, the prisoner of the Lord. It's the commitment. If, so if therefore is the consequence, then the prisoner of the Lord is the commitment. Is the commitment. You see, whose prisoner is he really? He, he's supposed to be the prisoner of Rome. But no, he says, no, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. I'm prisoner for the Lord. That's the attitude of saying, no matter the cost, this God is worth it. God, you are worth it, no matter the cost. That's the commitment. The prisoner of the Lord. I think this commitment is, uh, C.S. Lewis in his, in his, um, in his uh, mere Christianity, he gives this example of uh, an honest taxman. We sometimes treat a Christian faith as this honest taxman. That if I give the money that I'm expected to, then I'll have enough to go live the way I want. If I do whatever it takes for, for, you know, to be a Christian, to come to church every Sunday or give the money as required or be part of some event or whatever it is, then I've, I've done all that, checked all that. Now I can go live my life. When Dan was growing up and he would be heading out and he would tell us, okay, I'm going to go uh, be with our friends. And I think most of us as parents still do that. When he's about to leave and say, hey, Dan, did you do your homework? Yes, I did it. Did you clean your room? Did you do your bed? Did you eat your vitamins? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, now I have to go, right? But 
really Christian life is not where you checked off a certain boxes, completed certain tasks or events, but the life that he is calling us to, he is saying, Christ is saying, your whole life belongs to me. It's not just the task. That we would live as a prisoner of the Lord. Therefore, living as a prisoner of the Lord, that I am bound to him. And that's what Paul says here. But then it goes on to say, manner in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of the calling. So that word walk is, you know, it comes to us naturally, doesn't it? You know, our little Abigail, I saw her walk the other day, and now she's not going to start crawling. Once you start walking, you walk. I mean, once you learn how to walk, you walk. All right? Um, but something that, that our daily conduct, our day-to-day -day living, that's what walking is. It's a walk-worthy, saying that, how's your conduct? How is it that you do life? That's what Paul is saying here. It says, be worthy, that walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Now, to understand this best, John the Baptist, when the Pharisees and you know, the rest of the religious leaders came to be baptized, he says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, he says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. That is, not to say that you do, your, uh, do works in such a way that it leads to repentance, but but it says that if you're really repentant, it becomes evident. It, it becomes, you can start to see that visibly. The word there, worthy, is, means that of a balance, balancing the scale, that there should be an equal weight on both sides, that our practical living should match our spiritual position. Walking worthy. It is said, uh, there's this movie, I think it's called The King and I, very beautifully lays out about how, um, you know, the, um, the king's son is taught. And the, and the way these educators or these scholars would teach a king's son or a king's, ch a king's child it's not through the use of sticks and through swearing, or, you know, or you know, using uh, punishments, but by showing them the elevated position of who they are. You are the king's son, they would say. Remind them of their position. And therefore, that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's saying, therefore, I, as a prisoner of the Lord, there's a consequence, and I'm telling you it's worth the commitment, Paul says. So you walk worthy of your calling. And there's, you know, when, when, when Paul is calling us to this high level, it's not to our aristocracy it is not to our goodness but it's to say in verse 2 through humility and gentleness patience bearing with one another in love and that brings us to the how-to 
three things you can remember. That's an easy way to remember, right? So one is loneliness, loneliness, which is humility, long-suffering, and love. If we were to practice this, let's say this, these are the tools with which we want to approach this building project. The three things that we require, lowliness, long-suffering, and love. I want you to think of it as a three-legged stool. The stool cannot stand without the other. And Paul begins right at the beginning. Listen, I'm inviting you to get into this grand work but you've got to have some tools with you, some skills, some character, some attitude. Three things. Class, what is it? First one, lowliness. Second one, long-suffering. Third, love. Let's look at that and so we understand and that we would take it to be ours, okay? But um, uh, it gets interesting. It's not as simple as that. Uh, I called it the impossible three. These three things. Seems very, you know, it rolls off our tongue easy, but it's not easy. It's the impossible three. And um, we, we are to do this the Jesus way. Walking worthy of the calling can only be done the Jesus way. Uh, Jesus way is, um, I was trying to list down uh, talking about lowliness, long-suffering, and love. What verse or what passage comes to your mind when we talk about lowliness of Christ? Philippians 2. Philippians 2, lowliness. What about long-suffering? Is there a passage that comes to your mind when you talk about long-suffering? The one that I've got here is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 9. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, he is long-suffering toward us and about God, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. But what about love? What passage comes to your mind when you talk about love? Which one, sorry? A little louder. Ephesians? John 3.16. First Corinthians 13. The one that I've got, we always say John 3.16, but listen to 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So I said three things, loneliness, long-suffering, and love. But what Paul does here is he takes it to a higher level to the nth level. He qualifies it. He's not just saying humility. He's not just saying patience. He's not just saying love. He adds to it. He says, lowliness with meekness, long-suffering with patience, and love with forbearance. Now, I know that's a lot of words, and we need to understand what they are, but I want us to understand this one thing, that this is not something we can do on our own. We can't. We can't do that without the enabling of the Spirit of God. We read that in chapter 5, verse 18, and without looking at the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the three practical ways. One is lowliness. Lowliness with meekness. Um, different translations. NKJV calls it lowliness and gentleness. 
NIV, humble and gentle, ESV, humility and gentleness, RSV, lowliness and meekness. Whichever translation you want to look at, you are not getting away from the fact that this humility is qualified. Humility first. Humility first because we must remember God is above all. When we try to raise ourselves above anybody or, or about God, we, try, we imitate what the devil did. Pride makes us into little gods seeking to unseat God from our lives. Humility. It also reminds us, if we are humble, it reminds us that we are not always right. We need help. And this chapter is written in the context of the church. So listen to this. Being in church is a humbling experience. Being in church is a humbling experience. If we allow church to do what it's supposed to do in our lives, keep us dependent on God and, and be held accountable to each other. We think that we can come to church and leave or we came to worship God or, you know, praise God or hear his word. But church, as we will see here, uh, as we go through the chapter, you will see that it's got more. It's, it's, there, is a, there is this dependence on God that we can say, no, we can't do this on our own. And the, but there is also this being held accountable. This word humility is not natural. I was reading uh, a text on this which, which, which said this word humility, which, which literally translated says humiliation of the mind. That there was no Greek word, there was no, you know, Romans and Greek had no word for this. Because for them, this is not a virtue. For them, this was like, no, you, you, no, that's, that's, uh, nobody thinks about it. Nobody talks about it. And that's true because, humanly speaking, we don't really want to lower ourselves and humble ourselves. It is said that this word, this word in Greek, was coined by Christians. And later, when other writers would start to write, they would use that word to, in a derog derogatory way, to put down the Christians, but to say that that is a virtue that we learn from Jesus Christ because he's our best example. And what a paradox. Think about it. It's the loftiest one who teaches us about how to be low. The loftiest one who became the lowly one. How does that compute in the mind of one who has no Christ? but it's coming in a combination with gentleness or with meekness. Now, gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit. Hear the definition of what gentleness is by William MacDonald. He says, gentleness is the attitude that submits to God's dealings without rebellion and to man's unkindness without retaliation. <clears throat> Sorry, let me say that again. Submits to God's dealing without rebellion and to man's unkindness without retaliation. It, had, it has to be the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that God would grow in us, mature in us. You see, a call to Christianity, denying 
yourself and taking up the cross, it's not just to say that I'm going to torment myself. I'm going to make myself really difficult. No, God's word says no. It's not just about tormenting it. It's about crucifying it. It's to mortify it, to kill yourself, to say, no, myself has no place in this equation. Humility, lowliness, with gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit that bears in our lives this joy of being like Christ. But it goes on to say long-suffering, long-suffering, patience or patience. It's the ability to suffer long under difficult circumstances and relationship. Again, you know, when you talk about long-suffering, we remember our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? He's called the man of sorrows. He's the one who suffers long. That's who our Christ is. And when we call to follow him, and he say follow Christ, we have to walk in his steps. That's what following, following means, right? I can't say I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, but no, I'm going to live a different set of life that he wants me to. Well, he lived when he was, when he was here. And long-suffering comes. So how do I, you know, how do I develop long-suffering? Long-suffering comes through trusting God. I was, I was thinking of this. Uh, how do I explain this to myself? I, I thought trust is like the HEPA filter that stops even the minutest doubts to go through. That I come to a point in my understanding of who God is that even through my difficult times and, and through uh, emotions that I can't understand, that I can trust God. I can trust God. Yesterday I was talking to uh, a lady who called who was distraught. Uh, she, she is not from a Christian background, but she uh, came to know the Lord, but she's still struggling with all that has happened to her. And she was asking, is there justice? Or do I have to do something about it? It was interesting as we went through the conversation, but this one thing came up again and again, is that can we trust God when God says, I'm going to take care of you as the apple of the eye. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the one who cares for you. I am your refuge. I am your bulwark. I am your strength. I am going to be the joy of your salvation. Will we take him at his word and then be able to suffer long because I don't have to do what I think I should do when I know God can do what he can do in a much better way? Humility and long-suffering. Again, long-suffering is the fruit of the Spirit. And the thing about fruit is this, right? And the thing about fruit is it takes time to mature. It's not something that you, you know, wake up one fine day and it's, oh, the fruit is all there, all ripe and ready. No, it matures slowly. Eugene Peterson, in his title, he actually borrowed this phrase. He calls it the long obedience in the same direction. What a, what a imagery. Long obedience in the same direction. God's told you that's the way to go. Keep at it. 
It's going to be some time before we get to the other end. Well, that's long-suffering. Long-suffering. But then there's also forbearance. Forbearance. Bearing with one another in love. You see, forbearance is this. Making allowances for the faults and failures of others. Here's Paul Tripp to the rescue. He says, forbearance is patience under provocation. Somebody, you know, uh, provokes you, you're showing patience. A forbearance is more than just a facade of courtesy. You know, still on the outside, but seething on the inside. Forbearance is an inside out. If it's the fruit of the spirit, it must be from inside out. It's not something that you are bearing with others through your own strength. And if you have to bear the fruit, you have to give in to what God would want you to do. You see, Paul packed that two verses to say that this impossible is possible through Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 13, we said love is patient, it forbears. And then it, it, you know, this, this qualifying thing which says forbearance with love, forbearance and patience, and it's important that I, I want to I create this distinction between patience and forbearance. You see, patience is waiting for others to mature in grace, while forbearance is immaturity directed at you. So patience is you're waiting for someone else to, to mature, an example I could think of is, you know, your little kids as they grow up, you're waiting for that kid to be potty trained. I know most of us out here have kids who are potty trained, but it's just that patience, like, okay, not today, all right, I have to get up in the middle of the night, but one fine day, the potty trained, the child is potty trained, this patience. But forbearance is when it's turned against you. When this child is turned, you know, become a teenager going through a truancy, and you bear, forbear. So it's not just patience, it's forbearance. And then this love that is spoken of here, one another in love, there's a radical difference. I was reading a, a short play which talks about this active love and love in dreams. The phrase I borrow, active love and love and dreams. What it really means is a love that talks whether versus a love that works and acts. A love that talks likes to talk. They will give you, it'll boast, it'll seek action, it'll show this love when everyone is watching. Um, it, it, it looks for the praise of the other by showing that love. But a love that acts is the love of Jesus. It's willing to labor, persevere. It seeks no stage and is faithful to its purpose. It loves for God's sake. It loves. First one was Lowliness, long-suffering, love. I think we can ask ourselves these questions. How do I stand on this? If this is what God is 
calling us to. This is what God is saying that, you know, we would, um, we would show this character, these impossible commands. Because if we, well, we said that, right? I mean, we said, if I'm going to be following Christ, then I have, to, I have to follow this. That's what makes me a Christ follower. And it can only be done through the spirit, uh, through the filling of spirit. When he gets to chapter five, verse eighteen, he says that, and, and that this this fruit is born in me, in us. So, as we look at the rest of the year, as God would have us, if He tarries, I think it's important that we make a commitment to ourselves, saying, Lord. 2019, I want to be involved in this great work that you're doing. I don't know how you're going to involve me. I don't know what it means, but I want to come. I want to commit myself to this. And of the tools that you ask me to come with, the attitude that you ask me to come with, if this is the life that you ask me to come with, with lowliness, lowliness, with long-suffering, and with love, help me, Lord. Because these are the fruit of the Spirit. I can only do this as I submit myself to you. That you will bear it in me. That as you strengthen me, as you give, him, give me the strength, I'd be able to do this. You know, Christmas is just over. I'm not sure if you've had this experience, and I'll close with this. Our little children would come around and say, Mama, Dad, I, I want to bake cookies with you. And you know the little child is not able to make the dough, is not able to bake cookies. You can either shut the child off and say, no, you're going to make a mess of this. Or you let the child do, okay, here's a little dough, you play with that, or a little flour, and when there's a little mess, you, you just get impatient, and you say, I'm going to do it. Or you, or you might say, all right, let's do it together. Can you help me make the dough? If a child puts his hand into the dough and tries to put the, make the dough and not able to do that, but you come alongside of the back and you, you provide that power, as it were, the strength, as it were, to make that dough possible, to have that dough done. And that is what our God does. When he calls us to walk worthy of our life, that it's impossible for any man, any woman to do. God is saying, I'm going to come alongside. Would you give up of yourself to me so that I can work in you, which only I can do in your life, in this life of this community. And so let that be the, 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 uh, the, uh, the uh, anthem of us as a church. God would say, that's the community. I can see that lowliness. I can see them long-suffering. And I can see the love. And so as he builds this church, may we, may we be the ones who co-labor with him for his glory. Father God, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for all that you've been. We thank you for your son, the remembrance of your son. We thank you, Lord, that as we have thought about him, as we, as we think of all that he has meant to us, Lord, and the challenge that comes to our hearts, individual hearts. 
Lord, we don't know where we are and how far our fruit has matured in lowliness, long-suffering, and love. But we pray as we come together as a community, we can provoke one, an one another to good works. We can encourage and strengthen and build up. Oh, Lord, Father, we pray that we are able to set aside and and that you would help us forget and that you would cause, Lord, that the, our, our limitations become not our limitations, that they would, be the, they would be in spite of them that you would use us, that this light would shine forth in its glory for your name alone and for your name alone. We thank you again. We love you, Lord. Thank you for all that you mean to us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen.